and a huge welcome to this side event today on the fringes of the 66th session of the Commission on the Status of Women. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are joining us from. We're really, really pleased that you're here for this discussion uh, and a huge welcome. Uh, I'm so excited uh, to be here today. I first attended uh, CSW in New York 10 years ago now, I've just, just realised, in, in 2012. And it's always a privilege and an honour to gather with women's rights advocates and allies from across geographies and cultures and professional backgrounds um, as we look to take the time to collectively take stock on the key issues on the road to gender equality and women and girls empowerment. Now the theme of this year's CSW is, is focused on the critical issue facing all of us on how we ensure that women and girls are at the very heart of decisions and investments and actions in the context of efforts to address climate change uh, and environmental and disaster risk reduction policies and programs. Today's discussion, we're going to specifically focus on the role of pre-agreed disaster finance and why it's critical that women's rights advocates lean into influencing and shaping this agenda on behalf of women and girls and exploring the links to social protection and social inclusion. We'll be hearing from a distinguished panel of women and men bringing perspectives from a range of different actors and organizations um, and from different regions uh, of the world. But before I introduce the panel, firstly, I would like to thank the partners behind today's event. Um, we're really, really pleased to be partnering with ODI, a leading think tank whose evidence and research on gender, climate and economic development um, is at the forefront of informing these critical policy discussions. And also to thank the Insure Resilience Global Partnership for Climate and Disaster Risk Finance and Insurance, um, and specifically uh, the Insure Resilience Centre of Excellence on Gender Smart Solutions, which is the first global platform to share knowledge, provide guidance to practitioners and promote gender equitable uh, disaster risk management and who were recognised very importantly for their great work this week with an award. So uh, it's a real privilege to, to share this platform. And finally, a huge welcome on behalf of the Centre for Disaster Protection, um, of which I am uh, Associate Director for Engagement. Before we dive into the discussions, a few points on housekeeping. Uh, this event will have a bilingual English and Spanish simultaneous interpretation. Uh, you'll notice on the bottom of your, of your Zoom screen bar that there will be um, uh, a button for you to choose this and please select which Zoom channel you wish to listen in. English or Spanish, but note that the event team have warned us not to switch between them, even for those of you who are comfortable um, in both languages. We are also recording this event, both in English and Spanish, and these will be posted to the ODR YouTube channel uh, and shared um, following the event. We, we really want you to be joining this discussion and for it to be an active discussion. Um, so after we have uh, had some uh, presentations from our panelists and some introductions, uh, we really encourage you to put forward questions for our panelists using the Q&A function. 
Um, this is my first time moderating using this Q&A function, so please bear with me, um, but I hope that it will make for a really rich discussion. Uh, there's also the chat function as well, so that you can interact uh, with each other and to keep the discussion um, live. We'll also be running some quick real-time Zoom polls on the issues to try and take the temperature um, of the discussions and, and, and kind of see where we're at in this, in this virtual room. Now, I'd like to take the opportunity to introduce our expert panel of speakers before I'll be inviting each of them um, for a short presentation um, around some of the key questions to kick off our discussion today. So we are really, really pleased that we are joined here today um, by Krishnan uh, Narasimhan, the lead specialist and program manager from the United Nations Capital Development Fund. We are also joined by uh, Baroto Natako Bajira, a gender expert on behalf of the African Risk Capacity, by Bijal Bramba, the executive director of Mahila Housing um, and Sewa Trust, and also by uh, Letitia Gontijo First Goncalves, uh, risk finance consultant with the World Food Programme and the Regional Bureau uh, for Latin America and the Caribbean. And um, I will beg your forgiveness that I hope that I've uh, correctly pronounced everyone's name, but please do uh, offer corrections as well when you introduce yourself as part of your bios. And at the same time as I'll be inviting the panelists um, to say a few words, I think that we'll also, uh, our colleagues from ODI will also be launching our real-time uh, first Zoom poll um, as well. And please uh, respond to that uh, uh, during these initial uh, presentations and we'll, we'll look to see what the answers are. So now I'm gonna ask each of the panelists to say uh, a few words to introduce themselves and their bios, but also say a few words on how they are working on pre-agreed disaster finance and how their policy program work aims to benefit women directly. And we'll ask each speaker if you can take around three minutes to, to describe your background and work. And starting with you, Krishnan. Yeah, thank you very much, uh, like Eleanor, and uh, um, uh, like thanks to the organizers for this invitation and uh, uh, like good afternoon, good morning to my fellow panelists and attendees. Uh, I represent the UN Capital Development Fund. I am the lead specialist and manage the Pacific Insurance and Climate Adaptation Program. So as the name suggests, the core of our work uh, is, on, uh, is on disaster risk financing and insurance, uh, specifically the climate disaster risks uh, uh, in the Pacific, but we are seeking to expand so roughly uh, uncdf uh, works in about 35 countries across africa asia the pacific and the caribbean um, the work that we do is primarily to introduce uh, climate disastrous solutions that target the low-income households uh, these are uh, like presently market-based solutions where we work very closely with aggregators uh, such as cooperatives and associations to, uh, and, 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 and also with the digital service providers for the last mile reach. Uh, we have a, a gender and social inclusions, I mean, like strategy for the program that defines our work in including uh, like women and, uh, and others, uh, including people with disabilities. Um, and uh, some of my responses are going to be based on the gender and social inclusions like strategy that we 
have for the program and that we use in our implementation. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Krishnan, and we're looking forward to hearing more about your work uh, over the course of the discussion. I'd like to now invite Baroto. Uh, thank you so much, Ileano. Uh, allow me to thank the organizers of this event for uh, associating the African Risk Capacity to this side event. Uh, thank you for the partnership. I also want to recognize my fellow panelists. So my name is Boroto Ntako Bajira, and uh, I work at the Gender Experts at the African Risk Capacity. Uh, the African Risk Capacity, ARC, uh, is a specialized agency of the African Union, established in 2012 and provides African sovereign with uh, capacity building, technical, uh, and institutional support for early warning, contingency planning, and management and risk finance. Now, as part of its principles of engagement, uh, ARC adopts a differentiated approach to issues of gender equality. ARC is committed to closing the gender gap, which is uh, central to achieving the sustainable development goals, and thus recognizes that the important role of women in agriculture and disaster response is essential for food security and economic growth. ARC considers the promotion of women's empowerment uh, and gender equality in field operation and uh, at the professional level, an important factor in creating long-term impacts and sustainability. Accordingly now, uh, uh, the African Risk Capacity ensures that its operational responses and its capacity building work have a different approach to women and men. Uh, and uh, therefore, we systematically build a gender perspective in our operation and policies. So at gender equality related intervention are guided by gender strategy that was adopted in 2019 and uh, developed in close consultation with partners, stakeholders across the African continent and globally. This document is a, a practical step towards uh, ACT's commitment to systematically integrate gender in uh, its intervention. So the main, uh, finally, the main framework for resource mobilization strategy and approach for gender transformative disaster uh, risk uh, management outli outlined in the gender strategy. And one of the key features of the gender strategy of the African risk capacity is the introduction of the gender transformative financing, a concept which led to the creation of the gender transformative fund to support initiatives to transform mentalities and eliminate discriminatory norms and practices, especially at the community level. So as we continue, we will talk uh, more about uh, the Gender Transformative Fund. Thank you so much. Thank you, and we're delighted that you can join us uh, here today. Now, Bijal, it would be great if you can introduce yourself and your work. Hello, uh, my name is Bijal Brambat, and I'm the director of an organization called Mahila Housing Trust. And we are an organization that work directly to build the capacities of poor women in the informal sector across India to improve their housing, living and working environments. And uh, we work on these issues because we understand that for uh, most women in the informal sector, their house is also their workplace. So it's uh, an asset which, it's not only an asset, but it, it is also an area which develops their economic productivity. Um, 
So we work across almost eight states directly with poor women uh, uh, in India. Uh, we have been working specifically, I want to mention, in urban areas because there are multiple solutions available for the rural, but urban areas are much more complex. Uh, what we have been trying to do is also build their capacities and develop programs to not only work on disasters like shocks, but also climate-related slow onset but potent disasters like uh, you know heat stress or say air pollution or uh, water scarcity which are very evident in urban areas in our approach what we do is we uh, build the social capital of these women uh, in slum settlements which are informal settlements uh, extremely scientifically so for example uh, how do you really demystify what the uh, you know uh, phenomenon of climate change is because for most of these poor women, it's merely an act of God. So how do you sign, scientifically demystify and unpack it so that they are able to talk to the governments and private sector uh, in an equal manner? We've built a cadre of about 15,000 women uh, across India. Another thing that I would specifically like to mention is that we do partner with technologists and scientists uh, to give them very disruptive feedback, uh, which ensures uh, very, uh, you know, uh, productive collaborations where the technologies get modified in the uh, um, favor of poor women, and then the poor women adapt those technologies and take finances for that. Uh, so for example, poor women have taken uh, 15,000 uh, poor women have, for example, taken housing loans to make their houses either cooler or make them more energy efficient and flood resilient. Uh, very recently, we have also launched pilots on heat and excessive rain, and these are not in the rural. Uh, these are women-led, these are for women, uh, designed with the women and in urban areas. So it's heat and excessive rain in complex situations of urban areas. And I'll be talking more about that. Thank you so much, and we look forward to, to hearing more. And just before I introduce our uh, final panellist, I know that from the uh, polls shown uh, already, and we're going to ask our colleagues if we can show that again, that we have around 25 or so uh, in the discussion. So I think we should treat this as a small and intimate tent for our discussion, and hopefully we can have a really uh, involved conversation. But we also have representatives from a real uh, mix, again, of geographies and sectors. So looking forward to your rich insights and, and contributions uh, as we get to the Q&A section a little bit later. But with that, I will just ask Letitia, our final panelist, to introduce herself and her work with WFP. Thank you. Thank you so much. So uh, thank you, Leonor, and thank you, everyone, for this organization. Uh, I really like the event and the topic. It's something I'm really looking forward to for the discussions. Uh, my name is Leticia Gonçalves and I work with WFP, especially in Latin America and the Caribbean, supporting some risk finance um, pilots and uh, new projects. No? Uh, I'll introduce myself in English, but now I'm going to do the introduction in Spanish, so we are inclusive as well. Entonces, hace desde una década, WFP ha estado implementando soluciones de seguro contra riesgos climáticos como parte de un enfoque integrado de gestión de riesgos para proteger a las comunidades vulnerables. So I've been working to protect vulnerable communities for many years, and insurance is a very key aspect 
and they need to be integrated with other management tools like protecting against uh, climate disasters, improving productivity. So we need to look at opportunities for saving and we need to make these loans available to households so they can really uh, create uh, productivity. We introduced uh, in Guatemala, Nicaragua and Salvador some pilot projects in this um, aspect. And uh, we plan to introduce it in different um, countries as well in Latin America. So it is important to have an integrated management that also empowers women to improve uh, the situation of women and girls in rural areas and also food security. So we need really to make all these tools available to them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Letitia. And I think we're gonna dive in now for the next uh, 30 minutes or so into some of the kind of structured questions that our panelists have already had some, some time to uh, think about and address and take a bit of a deeper dive on, on some of the um, issues uh, to get started with. So the first question is really the framing around why disaster risk finance matters for women, but also other socially disadvantaged groups and, and how those disadvantages can often be um, intersectional. Um, and, and for us to understand really, you know, how, how different groups are differentially affected by disasters and also by, by the right kind of um, disaster risk finance uh, interventions if properly tailored. So Krishnan, I'm going to come to you first to, to help kick us off with this discussion. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, so um, my, my responses are going to be uh, anchored on the work uh, that we have been doing in the Pacific around financial inclusion. The UNCDF was uh, leading the Pacific Financial Inclusion Program for over a decade that eventually gave birth to the, uh, to the Insurance and Climate Adaptation Program. Um, through these programs, we have conducted extensive primary research as well as a lot of literature review that has informed some of our interventions. And uh, some of the findings from these research uh, suggest the following. Uh, that women uh, are more, I mean, most often severely affected by climate disasters than men. Uh, this has actually been published uh, as a policy brief on International Women's Day by our implementing partner, the UN University. Uh, women also have less uh, coping mechanisms available to them. Uh, this is uh, directly also because they own uh, less bank accounts. There's a gender gap in terms of financial inclusion and access to, to, other, to other financial instruments like loans are also uh, lesser for women. Uh, not considering these gender differences when implementing disastrous financing projects has the potential to widen the gender gap uh, that already exists between men and women. Uh, this could uh, happen, uh, for example, 
the products are sold through male dominated like groups or cooperatives or by male agents only men would have uh, better access then and could purchase them more easily because some of the social norms do not allow in in some societies do not allow women to directly access uh, these products so after disaster strikes uh, more men will receive payouts that will help them in faster recovery while women may have to uh, resort to certain negative coping mechanisms and strategies like borrowing money or selling assets which uh, which actually uh, i mean like affect them more and which will actually make uh, men better off so while we were developing the products we took all of this into consideration and we consulted with several women's groups and actually did a lot of focus group discussions before the products uh, were structured and as i said the earlier the gender and social inclusion strategy that we have also has a very structured approach and tool to define how we uh, like the i mean like develop disaster risk financing and insurance products what are the channels through which these are marketed um, the uh, the partner capacity building in terms of the work that we do with insurance companies and aggregators uh, i mean how do you sensitize them um, uh, to look at uh, what women as a significant segment of the market and this has actually yielded uh quite some results uh in the first year itself the this program as i mentioned the pacific insurance and climate adaptation program uh is uh, supported by the governments of australia new zealand uh, india and luxembourg they also have a very strong gender agenda that uh, we need to fulfill too so 32% of the beneficiaries that have been covered under the pilot so far are uh, like women and 5% are people with disabilities which is quite significant in terms of uh, 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 like fully i mean i mean like being fully inclusive and we hope to reach the 50% target as the like implementation progresses thanks thank you krishnan and i'm going to invite all panelists to build on each other's answers and help take the discussion forward and bijal um perhaps you can also help ground us a bit on the micro level as well and share some of your your insights yeah i would be very happy to give some real life examples to what already krishnan has said when he said that you know women have least access to uh poor uh, to sort of resources and assets and information uh so first coming to the poor in urban areas where we work for you know most slum settlements are always always in topographically vulnerable areas in uh, you know where no one will live uh what happens then is that if there is some amount of rain which is normal for the middle income group these houses will immediately get flooded because just you know they are uh, in sh very shallow areas which are likely to get flooded now when it when it gets flooded because for most women they use it for their economic activities as well and it is the um, uh, the male who goes outside uh, you know uh, the economic productivity is also affected health is also affected and there is uh livelihood uh, loss of uh, livelihood too so uh, uh, you know there are multiple uh, sort of losses uh, and damages that uh, the middle class would not 
uh, usually get. For example, I'll give you one live, live example. One area in India, one province, which is called Bihar, gets flooded usually every year. Um, and when it gets flooded, all the poor in the slum settlements would climb up to the rooftops and the women will be the first to get down because they have to clean the muck which has come into the house with the water. And then the, the death rate of the women increases and the reason being that when they are cleaning the muck, uh, you know, there are a lot of snakes in the muck which bit the women. And the men are still on top. So it's also the dual care burden which takes its toll on the women. The other thing that, uh, so this is a live example, something very specific to women and girls. Uh, I also believe that climate change and disasters caused due to it, it uh, are intergenerational phenomena. And uh, in some of the developing countries, even in developed countries, I, I think it is primarily women who are the nurturers of uh, children. And if that has to early on, uh, you know, come in as a habit and as an understanding into the children, into the adolescent girls, it's important that women get sensitized, that they become, uh, you know, uh, the teachers vis-a-vis uh, -vis men of, of, of their uh, children. Again, world over, uh, you know, as Krishnan said, it is the women who are promoting savings. And if, if the, there are these small savings, especially with the poor, uh, you know, uh, those are then used to sort of invest towards uh, disaster risk uh, transfer. Also, when a woman actually earns much more and is economically capable, all her, uh, you know, uh, income goes towards the betterment of the family in typical, uh, you know, poor families the male income does not necessarily mean this. So they, it may be spent in drinking and other kind of vices, which is uh, well known. So uh, this would be my injunction that, you know, uh, the uh, effects are very, very specific to women and girls. And they are they comprise actually 50% of the informal sector. So in developing countries like India, the informal sector is 80% of the workforce and of that women are 50%. So I think they are a very um, uh, major minority, so to say. Thank you. And I think it's a really important discussion of the gendered impacts of climate related extreme weather and other disasters, but Muchas also the... Gracias. the the gendered elements of the coping strategies um, uh, as well. So perhaps then we can kind of flip the question the other way and look at how we can look at how um, disaster risk finance instruments um, can be undertaken in, in a gender responsive way and, and ensure that they're uh, socially inclusive. And to kick us off in that discussion, I'm going to invite Barotto. So thank you so much, uh, Ileano, for uh, uh, giving me the floor. As I mentioned, the, the African Risk Capacity uh, is uh, an agency that was created by the African Union. And we understand clearly that, uh, as uh, my fellow panelists just mentioned, that uh, when disaster strikes, the people who are the most affected are uh, women, uh, girls, and other vulnerable groups. So because of that, uh, the African Risk Capacity, uh, when it adopted its gender strategy, uh, it uh, introduced uh, what we call transformative financing. This concept led to the creation of the Gender Transformative Fund to support initiatives that transform mentalities 
and eliminate discriminatory norms and practices, especially at community level. This is very important really uh, to talk about uh, eliminating discriminatory norms and practices. Uh, one of, uh, I mean, some member states where we work, for example, if I just mention a few, Zimbabwe and Malawi, uh, countries that are prone to cyclones. So the testimonies that we get on the ground uh, are uh, how uh, women are not prioritized when it comes to uh, recovery interventions uh, after a cyclone. Women, are, of course, they are the very, the, the persons who are the most vulnerable. But when it comes now to recovery, uh, they are not prioritized. They make the majority. And that's why the, the African risk capacity uh, wanted to transform these mentalities where uh, there are discriminatory uh, norms in societies women are discriminated against. A priority most of the time when it comes to those interventions, when it comes even to information, when it comes to uh, recovery, a priority is most of the time given to, to men. So the, what we call the, the introduction of the Gender Transformative Fund is a game changer in the ACTS country program. It is the main vehicle for resource mobilization for gender transformative actions among uh, the African risk uh, capacity member states and uh, partners. So uh, this fund uh, was established in 2020. And uh, being that uh, uh, vehicle for resource mobilization, it represents the aspiration really for the member states and ACT partners uh, when we had consultation, we held uh, uh, those consultations to elaborate the gender strategy and uh, civil society organizations and other partners indicated that desire to, and uh, with the African risk capacity to, capacity to transform disasters to positive events through the reconstruction of resilient communities where uh, discriminatory mentalities and uh, attitudes that hinder social economic recovery are transformed. Now, the Gender Transformative Fund is a, a very innovative and non-classical fund dedicated to gender transformative issues in, in the disaster risk management fields. And it's uh, clearly an appropriate solution. Uh, it's an open basket uh, for country-specific resource mobilization for the funding of action and initiatives capable of transforming gender discriminatory mentalities in member states. Uh, the ACTS Gender Transformative Fund uh, is embedded in uh, the objective, some objectives uh, of the ACT Gender Strategy, especially Objective 3, and its specific objective is to ensure gender transformation. So this will be done through, and it's done already in some countries through the provision of support to activities capable of transforming mentality, gender discriminatory norms and practices, especially at micro and meso levels at community advocacy for equal power campaigns against systemic discrimination, harmful norms and practices. So uh, I can uh, mention uh, a case. Uh, we, had, we held a policy dialogue in Zimbabwe in January, and we brought together different stakeholders, uh, a government, and uh, we held uh, a donor roundtable where there was a clear commitment because uh, we want to have uh, funds that are ready when there are interven I mean, where there is a, a disaster that strikes, we don't want people to, to start grappling. But if it's possible to have uh, a, a fund that's available, uh, like the basket fund, that can cater for the needs now of the communities, that can empower 
women on the ground. If you have that fund, that's already where people come and uh, bring uh, uh, different contributions. So when uh, disaster strikes, people don't need again to ask what's happening, but there is already a fund that's available. So we got really the buy-in from uh, different stakeholders, including uh, government and the donors who came uh, on board. And we think that this implementation starting in Zimbabwe will, will also be uh, duplicated in other member states uh, in uh, Eastern and Southern Africa and Western and Central Africa. Thank you. Thank you so much, Barotto, and I think uh, a really good illustration of the importance of how we engage and take stakeholders uh, along with us uh, on this journey um, and, and, uh, and the need to get everyone around the table. I'm going to invite Letitia now to give us the perspective as well of how can we ensure um, these instruments are undertaken in a gender responsive and even gender transformative way and to give us the perspective from, from Panama. Gracias. Sí, yo creo que es súper interesante los puntos abarcados por los colegas. I think it is very interesting. And in Latin America, we have in, in 2020, we launched a new strategy and also a new gender policy to make sure that everything is socially inclusive. So some specific examples, when we talk about specific cases, we can see uh, that many more countries can prove that microinsurance has uh, is being very positive uh, and very important for women's autonomy. And, and, and it is very important to organize this type of insurance. Uh, last week, we did a presentation and we explained uh, the cases of four women and how they could use this uh, money. So we had uh, a woman in Malawi uh, and Kadija, we had Linda from Guatemala. We also had Denise, a mother from Madagascar, and Maria from Nicaragua, um, a rural um, family in Nicaragua. So these four women, despite their differences, uh, they have had to face um, meteorological extreme um, phenomena. And these funds, help them not just to survive, but also to recover. So economic empowerment, the property, the funds that, that you get, these are things that are easy to measure. However, there are other elements that are more difficult to measure, like decision making, that is very difficult to assess. So it is very important to listen to specific cases so that we can adapt the programs and they, th those are then able to change lives. It is not easy to have specific 
measurements, but yes, it is very clear that we need to be gender inclusive and socially inclusive when we design these policies. So they, these policies can really respond to the needs of real people and really produce results. I think it is very crucial to listen to the persons because it helps us assess if we are designing the correct programs, the correct insurances. Thank you. Thank you, Letitia, and I think you've really um, raised the, such a critical point of how we best listen, inform and engage directly uh, with women's groups and with, with affected women themselves and ensure that uh, programmes are, are adaptive um, in response and that policies are, are also um, adaptive in, in, in response in that in that way. I think I'm going to invite Krishna now to help us maybe take the discussion forward one, one notch and how do we best engage directly with, with affected women themselves, with women's groups and, and women advocates um, and what those kind of entry points are for, for getting the right people at the table to achieve more socially inclusive uh, risk financing. Um, you know, we, we sort of adopt a market systems approach where we firmly believe that uh, in the power of partnerships. So UNCDF is, uh, is like a catalyst uh, where we work with uh, different sections of the market, be it the supply side, be it the uh, like demand side, as well as uh, those on the, uh, like, I mean, like policy side, including the regulators. Um, so uh, what we do is that uh, we bring these partners together and using our uh, uh, tools and instruments that include certain types of uh, financial interventions like performance-based grants uh, and other blended financing instruments, we de-risk some of the work uh, that the private sector has a very critical role to play in this. And uh, when such... Uh, disaster risk financing solutions are developed, we have recognized quite early on the, the importance of uh, um, need to meet with women and groups that work with women. Uh, and we also recognize the importance of our partners, namely the insurance companies, the other financial service providers, the digital service providers, the fintech service providers on their need for a human-centric approach, uh, especially when it comes to developing solutions for women. Um, so this includes, uh, you know, finding out what perils affect them and their, uh, like, what businesses the most. How are they, their families and their livelihoods affected by uh, natural hazards and by disasters? And what type of support do they need most after a disaster? Uh, and at present, what sort of access they have to financial instruments, uh, to even, uh, uh, say, mobile phones, uh, um, uh, their present status. And uh, what financial instruments and technologies are they comfortable using? Uh, and uh, what would be the type of training interventions that uh, they would like to be exposed? So these are the various factors that uh, 
we use while designing products device uh, i mean like devising the marketing and awareness strategies the outreach strategies and also determining which distribution channel which will reach them better i mean for example um, uh, in in our work we uh, consult regularly with uh, uh, with institutions like such as the femling pacific uh, the fiji women's fund the the ministry of women etc so all these factors need to be evaluated when investigating the effectiveness of these products and it is important that uh, all our implementing partners are sensitized to these issues uh, we have technically capacitated all our partners uh, to look at this very critically while devising uh, their strategies for intervention thanks thank you i think that's a really um, some really key points about moving beyond outreach and consultation to a real human and woman centered um, design approach and the importance of sensitizing implementing partners um, as well. I'm going to invite Bijal now to talk a bit more about uh, co-creation in a meaningful way um, and how this can be uh, best uh, conducted with affected women themselves. Uh, yeah, just two examples. Uh, one is that we really do believe that very scientific phenomena, uh, you know, the um, <clears throat> the larger world wants to keep it all the more scientific. So how do you, for example, uh, you know, um, unpack um, very abstract uh, scientific term like systems thinking to, to the poor women who are not educated? Who are... So uh, we sort of, uh, you know, so for example, what we did is we were trying to explain to them the water scarcity uh, phenomena which happens due to climate change. And, and that unless and until you address the all the elements of the system, there will not be much impact on that uh, stress. So uh, we sat with the scientists and we prepared a water cycle and which had various elements like say, evaporation, runoff, absorption of water, uh, how it affects water table, and then probably again evaporation. And those elements were actually put on cards and, uh, you know, the cards were there put on a rope and women held all the cards through the ropes. And if one end of the rope was pulled, then all the other end of the ropes got full. So we tried to pull. So we tried to gamify very a very, very scientific uh, and abstract approaches to be able to, you know, uh, sort of build their capacities to talk at an equal level with the governments and the technologists. One of the other things that we have trying to do is ensure disruptive collaborations with the technologists. For example, we were trying to promote uh, cool roofs because heat is a great uh, climate stress, which is going to sort of... Uh, uh, you know, unravel across the entire world, but more so in the global south, uh, including India. So the technologist had a cool roof and we piloted it into the uh, houses of women. We taught them how to uh, 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 take readings from temperature loggers and compare it to the Indian meteorological department's readings every day and then so they they started noting it every day and then they understood that the roof was really uh, you know very useful so then they themselves became the mouthpieces for promoting that technology then they uh, with us they developed a financial uh, loan mechanism and then took a complete loan and it was uh, then upscaled so i think uh, the scientists the technologists 
and the governments also need to hear and listen and learn. You have to unlearn what you have already learned. Um, and also the other thing, especially in terms of when you are talking not only about uh, savings and credit, but also about insurance, uh, I have understood by working with poor women that because money is so crucial and so short, uh, you know, they always think in terms of investment. They don't think of insurance as a risk transfer mechanism. They say, okay, I'm investing my money in a premium. What benefit am I getting? So we have to undertake a lot of education and handholding and keep reiterating it again and again uh, to be able to, uh, you know, think um, in the fact that it's a risk transfer and you cannot expect benefits from it. So I think these are some of the strategies that we have been undertaking very hands-on uh, uh, with them to be, uh, and these are some of the challenges also. Thank you so much. And I can see that we're starting to get some initial questions in the Q&A. So I'm going to invite one more of the panelists just to uh, give some further remarks. But if you want to start including your questions in the Q&A, then we'll soon uh, move to an open, um, open discussion. Christian, if I can get you to hold off on answering this question just now. Firstly, I'm just gonna ask uh, Letitia for her um, kind of final response in terms of uh, how we kind of engage the, the women's rights and advocacy um, community most productively in influencing and shaping uh, responsible disaster risk finance products. Thank you, Eliano. Uh, sí, muy interesante las discusiones. Estoy aquí a pensar un poco eh, cómo I think the debate is very interesting. I think the part of strategic partnerships is very important. But I think the best way uh, women can contribute to this agenda is to, um, to influence the offer of this type of insurance. For example, micro insurance that is specific to women. And that is a big opportunity because it is centered in women and is, is uh, promoted through channels like cooperatives that are uh, linked to women. And that is a very powerful way of getting to women. So we need to coordinate this. And it needs to be uh, regulated and it's, there needs to be the right policies, but we need to really know the demand, what the real demand is. And the organizations know the risk, they know the barriers and they know what they need to address. In Latin America, uh, what, we do, what we did is to really listen to the organizations like grassroots organizations so that we could really assess what the main risks were. Also work together with financing institutions and organizations and, and we need to explain the, all these abstract concepts 
in a way that um, they are understood and they, uh, they can adapt to each specific need. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I've often heard it said that a good uh, event or panel discussion should be like a good dinner party. And I feel at the moment we're certainly getting some really exciting energy and, uh, um, and some really, really grounded examples um, from our panelists. So thank you for your, um, for your focus and energy today. And I think we're going to move into the to the Q&A section. And the first question that we have is from uh, Libby Como on how can a poor woman afford an insurance premium for an insurance policy that can effectively uh, remediate her impact from a disaster? And I think this question as to who pays um, is really, really critical. And I'm going to invite Krishnan, who's put his hand up first to, to take the first go at answering this. Yeah, thank you, Lenor. So, um... So from our experience of working on uh, micro insurance and now on this climate disaster risk insurance this is a very pertinent question. So uh, repeatedly in uh, many of our uh, demand side studies, we have found that the three main A's as we call it uh, that uh, that affect uh, or rather, I mean, our causes for poor insurance penetration is lack of access, lack of awareness and lack of, I mean, affordability, A, A, A. So affordability is very key. And even if you provide access and even if you provide digital access uh, and you do interventions like uh, uh, like what Bijal said around uh, increasing awareness and financial capacity building through financial literacy and insurance literacy particularly, what affordability still becomes a big challenge. So one of the ways that we are working with the private sector to make the products affordable is through group aggregation because one of the biggest cost uh, in insurance is the distribution the uh, the cost of distribution if we can bring this down then that reduces the premium so the group aggregation model where the aggregators like cooperatives and other associations and groups that work with women uh, take the administrative burden of distribution that effectively brings down the cost and we uh, de-risk some of these initial costs by uh, setting up the projects uh, so that such distribution channels can thrive. The second way is uh, smart subsidies uh, for premium financing and this is being uh, quite uh, well promoted by some of the donors where uh, based on a sustainability plan which kicks in two three years from now uh, um, such groups can be introduced with the smart subsidies which link the subsidy uh, which could be uh, 30 to 50 percent of the premium cost to their behavioral change you know the number of trainings they attend number of capacity building uh, events that they attend and the regularity with which they start saving so if that is linked then in in uh, what what in what in a matter of two to three years they save enough to keep paying for their premiums so these are some of the approaches that we have taken. Thanks. Thank you. And I'm going to invite Bijal to build on your answer there. Uh, yeah, I think Krishnan has answered that very well, but I would still say that 
no single approach as i said uh, uh, you know will solve the equation because it's it's uh, it's very very complex and uh, so you have to undertake all these approaches so for example we are able to do this because we are a women's cooperative but it, the insurance is still at the meso level so the cooperative buys it it's not the poor women who are buying it and then we then bundle it with other things like as he said like savings mechanism or probably uh, life insurance or livelihood insurance or other kinds of uh, insurances uh, so that the cost uh, goes down however you must understand that even in a in a developing country like india the entire insurance coverage is around 7% which would include the middle class and educated and uh, for the poor there are primarily only two kinds of insurances uh, available which is life insurance and Uh, accident insurance very very heavily subsidized the premium is extremely uh, subsidized by the government so this is still a challenge and therefore we need to uh, use education awareness uh, multiple financial instruments uh, including smart subsidies so we shouldn't be looking towards completely commercializing it uh now and then and therefore a lot of learnings uh, should be coming around across from the world but i think it it women are become ready to invest if you have built trust over a long period of time and uh, you know they have come out a little bit above the poverty and have some extra income to to be able to invest in there uh, and yeah so for example recurring uh, savings or you know fixed deposits are a certain way in which some of the insurance premium gets funded too so uh, and most uh, microfinance institutions would only offer credit so you have to have uh, you know smaller microfinance institutions offering a complete range of financial services to service the premium thank you and while we wait for some further questions to come in i'm going to invite borotto and then letitia to the discussion So thank you so much Elena. Mine is a quick one. I think in uh, in our communities in Africa uh, I'm going to agree with uh, uh Sí, eh, obviamente estoy de acuerdo con Villal y con I'm todo lo que han dicho. Villal regarding uh, raising awareness about insurance. Uh, the African Risk Capacity has been given the the mandate to capacitate member states and it's very important to capacitate uh, communities. Uh, people are not even educated when it comes to insurance uh, they don't know what it is how to afford it how to claim it so we work uh, closely with uh, some organizations on the ground that are focusing uh, strictly to uh, capacitate women to raise awareness to educate them about uh, insurance and i think this is a, a very important step in our communities on the african continent where many people don't even uh, are not educated when it comes to 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 insurance uh, maybe even if it's for small farmers uh, can be for cooperatives so it's important first to to raise awareness uh, so i'm uh, really uh, determined to agree with bijal thank you so much Letitia, i'll invite you to respond and then i have some of my own questions and then hopefully we'll get some more coming in as well No, thank you. No, and I I just wanted to agree. No, one in the um, awareness and also the demand. Usually, when we do like the focus group discussions before implementing like any pilot, we we always assess uh, the willingness to pay or the affordability that the product. So sometimes even when you don't even believe people are willing to to contribute when you explain you no know, how it works. 
but of course, there is smart subsidy. Sometimes it's necessary when we start a pilot and you, you have to show in a way uh, to people how it will work and they can perceive the value of the product. And, also, and we also work with different, let's say, uh, clients or uh, beneficiaries. Some of them actually cannot afford. And we, we hope that as insurance is just one of piece of the puzzle. No? So you can build the resilience over time and hopefully in a few years time they can afford to pay. So that's why the subsidy is very important. But we can also perceive that some of them, they just need to understand uh, why and how it works. Because in Latin America, it's often you, you listen to people, they believe insurance is something for the rich. They don't believe this is something that the poor can afford. So I think this is also very important. And also the asset creation. You know, WFP works a lot with the asset creation modality as well. So people can work a few days and they can pay the premium in that way. So they can create also, uh, they can do like restoration, or water resources and things like that. So they can build their own resilience and at the same time they are contributing to the premium in that way. So that's my contribution. Thank you. Thank you. And I see we have another question coming in from Mary, but first I'm gonna pose a question to see, to take us up to the kind of macro level and ask the panelists what you see as the greatest policy barriers currently in the way um, to preventing pre-agreed finance of which insurance is, is, is one element um, from really being the kind of default and, and how we shift um, uh, and, and ensure the right policy incentives are there. So I will ask panelists if you can use the uh, raise hand function perhaps and see who wants to uh, kick off this discussion. Oh, everybody's, uh, everybody's engaged. Krishnan, first, uh, first to you. Yeah, uh, so thanks. Um, uh, the, the policy environment or the enabling environment is very, very important because there are uh, instances of uh, uh, women not being able to access some of these services just because they do not have the essential, uh, uh, I mean, documents or IDs uh, that uh, that can provide them access. So uh, there, there, I mean, there have been certain uh, policy initiatives where uh, women need to produce less uh, less documents because you know at times they are not owners of assets. They don't have land titles or building titles with them, which uh, uh, you know, which actually prevent them from uh, from getting credit or you know, like getting some other type of like financial instruments. So that needs a, a, a very robust policy intervention, both at the regulatory level and at the government level. Um, so I think that so that could be a good starting point. And we have seen instances of uh, um, many governments being uh, a little responsive or a little proactive in doing that, having recognized the importance of uh, gender inclusion. Thanks. Thank you. And Barotto, I saw that your hand was up, but has gone down. But do you have anything you want to add on either the policy barriers or what we think are some of the policy solutions that can help unlock this? So when uh, I mentioned the, the, the gender transformative fund, it's very important because then we want to empower the ministries of gender or women which are less resourced. That's very important because uh, if you work uh, and you, you, you push for the empowerment of those ministries of gender, uh, in each, each country, that will be important at policy level, but also at regional level, the African Risk Capacity works with the African Union 
So uh, in the recent, uh, uh, I mean, uh, concluded uh, high-level meeting on disaster and risk reduction in Nairobi uh, in uh, November. So th there was uh, a declaration that's very important when it comes to, uh, to DRM, uh, gender, DRM, and financing. And that uh, declaration, when you go through it, uh, it calls for member states and regional economic communities to increase the annual budgetary, budgetary allocation as well as uh, to establish a innovative financing solutions, including uh, by participating in the African Risk Capacities Innovative Risk Pooling Mechanism for the implementation of gender-sensitive and inclusive disaster risk reduction strategies, programs, and plan of action. So it's important from uh, our side to work with, uh, when we are trying to implement a gender transformative fund, we work with the Ministry of Gender, uh, we call for its empowerment, but also at the, uh, the regional level, we work with the African Union. And uh, we think that we are making really steps at that level. Over. Thank you. Thank you. And Bajal as well. Oh, Bajal, did you also want to respond on the, on the policy yeah. question? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> No problem. So the situation in India actually is that, uh, you know, first of all, I think in such financial instruments, gender is not at all in discussion. Uh, so gender is not the focus. Uh, again, the, I think the gap and the uh, lack of innovative thinking in India is that if it's a financial instrument, it has to absolutely go through the uh, uh, you know, micro uh, or the insurance industry, for example, or the financial uh, ministry, vis-a-vis, uh, -vis, uh, you know, something like a gender ministry or a climate change ministry, uh, which would be much more open to such innovations. So I think there's a very rigid structured path that uh, we have been following. Thirdly, even in our country, you know, um, uh, regarding disaster and climate change, uh, there is a lot of education to be undertaken, even at the uh, uh, you know the very highest levels of the government and the um, financial industry, because uh, you know most of the climate change talk is still only looking at mitigation aspects. It's not looking at adaptation and risk transfer. But I do believe insurance or financing is something which has to be tackled uh, from all aspects. So how do you really bring all of them to talk, to become innovative and uh, uh, to talk about women? Um, I think one, uh, so we really do talk about it globally. And we also, you know, like uh, we are working with Insurresilient uh, quite a lot now with their uh, Center for Excellence, um, Gender uh, Center for Excellence, trying to talk to the governments and uh, trying to see that, uh, you know, uh, there is more innovation brought in. And one of the biggest uh, policy inputs that we are trying to uh, give uh, to the insurance authority in India is, the, is that allow poor women's own institution to set up their, uh, you know, insurance companies and make special uh, provisions for uh, such companies which are owned by poor women to be able to uh, really, uh, you know, set up uh, an example and, and scale. I think it's a lot, while it's, it's uh, more about uh, financing and people do talk of scaling up and sustainability, like Krishnan Sain said, everyone is giving smart subsidies. So uh, why not innovate and put it in the hands of these women as leaders along with some professionals 
to see how we can come up and address the issue uh, in a different manner. I, I think these are some of the policy gaps and injunctions we have been trying to make. Thank you. And I can see Letitia is also looking to uh, respond. So I'll invite you here. And now we also have uh, another couple of questions for the panel. But Letitia, on the policy side. Thank you. No, I think very quickly, just to complement, I think, uh, especially in the context of Latin America, no, we, we discussed it a lot, actually, with the superintendencies, because there's a lot of limitations sometimes in the regulation, let's say, to like Krishna was saying about uh, some women don't have maybe some documents, access to, you know, um, land uh, documents as well. So it can sometimes limit it. And the insurance, we know it has to be simple. The distribution is actually a very big uh, part of the, the cost and also all the paperwork, everything that you have to handle. Some, sometimes uh, the flexibility from the superintendents and the regulation, it's not there. And we have to often discuss it with, with them as well so we can have some flexibility or even simplification. Not, not always keeping in mind the consumer protection, of course, we, we want to make sure the, 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 the beneficiaries are aware and they are very well um, know what they're getting. But sometimes it's very important to be flexible and simplify less documents, uh, some things that you can even like make it more like comic books like we did in let's say in Latin America without too much writing, but in a way that people can understand. But sometimes you still have to keep all that countless number of policies that you have to handle to people. So all of that, I think it's very important. That's to have a open dialogue with the superintendents to have a, let's say a good regulation that fits uh, our beneficiaries uh, objectives as well. Thank you. Thank you, that's a really rich answer. And we have another question that's come in uh, through the Q&A function. I'm not able to see uh, whose name it is, uh, unfortunately, but an open question to any of the panelists to respond to. What are the specific ways that we can assess whether a financial instrument is effective at addressing the gender gap in, in practice? And I know that we've, we've talked about the complexities of, of measurement throughout the discussions, but it would be good if we can, we can build on that. Well, I can say something. <laughs> Go ahead, Leticia, get us started. I found, well, I think it's a very good answer, a uh, question, because it's a very difficult answer. No, it's not easy. Like I said, in, also in my intervention, it's not easy. Some things are very easy to, are tangible. You can easily access, others are not. So I think the best way you can access is like having right indicators, of course, having this open, um, a constant follow-up with the, the beneficiaries, like having qualitative information as well, like the examples that Pichar was giving, it's like you cannot get it through numbers. No, you have to have this qualitative approach. And that's the reason we are like doing this publication we just launched last week, because we wanted to hear how women are using the payouts. What are, is it really making a difference in their lives? Like, is it really, they have a say on how they spend it? All of that, I think it's quite important. So it's a complex answer because we don't have an, really a ready-made formula. Uh, but I think it's a mix of qualitative and of course in the product design you have to try to address as much as you can all the, the important points but yeah I think it's an ongoing process until we can answer something like that. Vijal, do you um, want to build on that? Yeah so I think the first and foremost and the easiest because as uh, uh, you know she said it's very very complex is that 
you involve the women in the design uh, you know and then also probably in the delivery you involve the women uh, and also make women customers i think three <laughs> these are the three things you can very easily foremost address to uh, ensure that the gender gap is closed but beyond that as she said this is a complex problem we are all learning if we do address the gender gap we may not be able to scale so there will indefinitely be uh, uh, you know challenges of scale and because insurance is a market instrument whether it's marketable or not so you know such challenges are there and we have to continuously keep deploying the products and keep improving based on the feedback i think that's the only way Thank you. And we have another question from, from Maria ODI in terms of if any of the panelists have any specific ideas about design and implementation of pre-agreed disaster finance in gender responsive ways, specifically for, for displaced migrant, refugee or um, uh, demographically dynamic populations. And if there are particular concerns or or considerations there. I'm also, before inviting the panelists to respond to that, going to check with our AV team. I see that we have a comment from a participant from Niger who would also like to share some of the uh, challenges from their from their own context. So Malika, we'll have a we'll have a see as to whether we're able to do that. But first, I'll see if any of the panelists want to respond on um, yeah, how this works for, for people on the move or people who've been displaced. I see no hands going up, so we may, uh, we may take that offline and, and I'm sure that um, uh, amongst our, our organizations and networks, we can, we can try and come back. And we hope to both share the videos of this recording, but looking into a follow-up blog or paper. So any questions we're not able to answer right now, we'll definitely take away. I will just see if we are able to, I'm not sure that we're able to open uh, the technology for you to present um, Malika, but again, it would be great for us to follow up and to share with the uh, participants of today's discussions, uh, the example and, and some of the, um, the challenges and, and also the approach that you're, that you're taking um, in Niger. Um, perhaps if we don't have any more uh, particular questions forthcoming right now, I might actually invite Mary from ODI to share uh, some of the reflections um, and, and from the discussions that we've heard today. And then perhaps we might uh, go back to our panelists again for their uh, final reflections before we wrap up. Thank you very much, Eleanor, and hello, everyone. I'm Marie Dupar, a senior technical advisor in ODI's Global Risks and Resilience Programme. Uh, we convened today's event, the pre-agreed disaster finance, the agenda women's advocates should be influencing, because it's such an immensely important agenda, where in general, until now, the voices of women, of gender equality advocates, and the interests of other socially disadvantaged groups have been too quiet. Although today's panelists, as you can see and hear, are absolutely on the leading edge of designing pre-agreed disaster risk finance to progress gender equality. 
As we've heard today, pre-agreed disaster finance in its essence refers to financial mechanisms and systems that are lined up and ready to activate when there are indicators that a crisis could emerge. Uh, the finance is dispersed to avert or alleviate a humanitarian crisis. So the kinds of pre-agreed finance that we're talking about and which have been illustrated today are things like insurance at different scales or humanitarian disbursements to governments and organisations on the basis of triggers, which could include, but they're not limited to, forecasts for extreme weather and climate conditions and their anticipated impacts on communities. And we've heard today about how the UN system and multilateral aid and development agencies are increasingly starting to pivot towards setting up pre-agreed disaster finance. So they're not caught on the back foot when crisis threatens, but they can be nimble and fast acting. International NGOs too are taking the cue and committing to pre-agreed humanitarian financing also. Now, pre-agreed disaster finance has immense potential to help people, as we've heard, individuals, households, communities, but it also has the potential to be far less effective than it could be if it's designed in a technocratic way or indeed a gender blind way and is so much focused on financial modeling that it fails to adequately respond to the perspectives and grounded needs of diverse people. And let's just emphasize that here we recognize that Women are not a homogeneous group, and we're really talking about social inclusion more broadly here, including the specific needs of urban versus rural women, as we've heard, people living with disabilities, diverse ethnic groups, castes, classes, and so on. And we've also really reflected a bit today about how disaster risk finance would be less effective if it fails to respond to learning from implementation. And it's those women's experiences from implementation too, which are so vital. A potential risk that concerns me generally is that in most societies, women's labor in the care economy is invisible. It's not adequately valued in social terms or explicit economic terms. Um, as Bijal said earlier, women are uh, in the majority employed in informal sectors of the economy in low income and middle income countries. And of course, we know that women are underrepresented in decision making in virtually every society. So these are different forms of underrepresentation and invisibility. And for this reason, actually, pre-agreed disaster risk financing is really exciting, a vital new frontier where the women's movement and gender equality advocates everywhere, female, male and non-binary, should be looking to influence. And in today's discussion, you've heard from champions for gender equality sitting in various institutions, which really have an open door for collaboration with local, national and international gender experts and women's groups. You've heard from the UN Capital Development Fund, Africa Risk Capacity, the World Food Programme, who all have an open door. Please take advantage of that. They've told you how they're not only open to ideas, but also to offering different forms of capacity development to women and women's groups so they can benefit more. And you've heard from the Mahila Housing Sewa Trust, um, which actually has turned this on its head and said, listen, we're open to educating governments and scientists about women's priorities um, at the community level. 
they are demonstrating that dynamic potential of advocacy influency, uh, influencing learning and doing together, which are so powerful. And at least two of the sponsoring organizations for this event, the Center for Disaster Protection and the Inshu Resilience Center of Excellence for Gender Smart Solutions, um, I know will be actively looking to expand connections with gender experts around the world to assist them uh, with their, their uh, advisory and other work uh, in, in various countries. So for this reason too, please get in touch either in the chats or following the event and because we look forward to building our networks with you. And finally, before I, I sign off and hand back to Eleanor and the panelists, I want to say a, a very special thank you um, about the organization of this event, because, um, of course, we've, we've had our wonderful moderator, Eleanor, and, and, and I've also helped pull it together. But a shout out to Anastasia Tamaidis of the Insha Resilience Centre for Excellence, who uh, was instrumental in organizing it as well. Uh, I'm now going to ask uh, my colleague at ODI to put up another Zoom poll, um, which the audience can fill out uh, just to see uh, what you learned, what you take away from the event. And you can fill that out as you're listening to the panelists' final remarks. Please also share your reflections as you have been doing in the chat box. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mary. And we've been informed that Malika, um, your microphone should be enabled. So we'd love to invite you to share some Niger. Eleanor, you're muted. <laughs> Thank you, Christian. I was just checking, Malika, if the, if you're able to hear us and share some, some of your reflections. And if not, then we'll uh, invite you to share some in writing that we can include as part of the wrap-up. In which case, I think let's uh, maybe hear our final concluding remarks from our panelists. And a huge thank you again for all of you for joining today. Krishnan, uh, do you want to share your concluding remarks? Yes, so thank you, Eleanor. Thank you, panelists. It was, uh, it was really insightful and especially uh, the panel brought uh, people from Africa, Latin America, uh, Asia and the Pacific. So that itself uh, was uh, was a good uh, learning opportunity in terms of uh, what is happening <clears throat> in the other parts of the world, uh, which could inform uh, key lessons for us. Uh, uh, so I'm, uh, I mean, all for continuing this conversation, uh, both offline and online, uh, quite frequently, because there's a lot uh, as a community of practice that we need to learn from each other in terms of uh, being responsible in terms of uh, expanding the scope for gender and social inclusion in all our efforts 
towards building uh, the financial preparedness and resilience of uh, of say disadvantaged people and low income societies uh, so so like thank you very much for this opportunity to uh, to uh, to share my thoughts and uh, what what my program is doing so thank you very much yeah thank you christian and i think building this as a as a broader community of practice is is a great challenge to all of us Barotto, would you like to share your, your final thoughts from the discussion today? Yes. Uh, let me thank uh, the, the fellow panelists. Thank you so much for giving this opportunity to the African Risk Capacity to be part of this uh, uh, event. So we know that you are already working in partnership with the uh, issue resilience and uh, this discussion will continue. We look forward to exchanging more on this topic. So from uh, our side, uh, we want to just to, to bring uh, up the gender transformative fund uh, that the African risk capacity has put forward to member states. Uh, when uh, this fund is established, uh, it will focus on advocacy for a gender transformative DRM policy environment uh, build back better rehabilitation activities, income generation activities, and quick uh, wins activities. So uh, the African risk capacity, uh, as the question, the question that came before, to know how we check, how we make sure to know that which approach is working financially. Uh, I was tempted to, to to show how the African risk capacity goes because we start by, from doing. Uh, agenda analysis in member states, then that leads to agenda action plan, and that leads to a policy brief, and then finally it leads to a, a round table now where we, we discuss the establishment of the gender transformative fund. So that process goes on, and we always have time again later to check how things are going on uh, the ground, what is successful, what is working, what's not working. And if need be again, we can return to research like my colleagues, my colleagues mentioned today. So thank you so much. We look forward to exchanging more, to continuing this conversation on uh, other platforms. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we're so pleased that you could join us here today. Bijal, any final reflections from you? Yeah, so thank you so much for giving this opportunity. And uh, But I would like to, uh, you know, uh, just make uh, one or two submissions. Is that we uh, need everything we need you know, policy influence, we need the markets uh, to be able to, uh, you know, bring in a lot of, change a lot of equations and bring in a lot of stakeholders to be able to resolve this. But I think what we need to encourage the most are the champions of change and action in whatever way that we can, you know, uh, who are working at the ground level and perhaps directly uh, with women and those who are most uh, socially disadvantaged. So what are the opportunities that they get for, uh, you know, interaction for, uh, uh, you know, developing further is something that is very crucial to me. Uh, uh, and, and so thank you once again for giving us this platform, uh, ODI and Institute Resilience. But I think also what we do not understand, because some of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, resource funds like the a gender transformative fund in Africa or the UNF city fund are probably introduced at a very top or high level in countries. And, uh, you know, champions like us do not understand how to access them or how to reach out or probably even uh, make a knowledge partnership. 
and i that is something i think is a very huge gap uh, uh, you know uh, between the ground and and at the uh, uh, top and i think we really need to uh, sort of take initiatives to be able to promote such exchanges uh, you know which will encourage more and more partnership between the ground and uh, and at the uh, you know very uh, sort of uh, higher level i think there's an excellent challenge and and nice to have specific actions for us to to go away with um, and and follow up Letitia, I'll invite you for any closing thoughts. Well, thank you so much. And I also would like to thank the opportunity. That, that it was a super interesting uh, discussion. Uh, like with people from different regions, no? so it is always insightful to see um, what are the differences and also what we can adapt uh, to, other, to our region. And I just would like to highlight also how important it is, I think, the role of the associations and cooperatives. No, I think we cannot never um, highlight it enough. Like our projects in Central America as, as WFP has been always linked to the cooperative and the associations. They are always our starting point, let's say. It's, it's where the aggregator of, of all the farmers, let's say, or, or even like the micro entrepreneurs. So it's very important and the enabling environment, like having uh, regulation in place, but also having the willingness, uh, not only from government, but the private sector, and also the technical part. You no, know, sometimes, uh, let's say, the insurance company in the country cannot have maybe the, the technical capacity to design something, let's say, different, like a parametric insurance, something like that. And I think it's very important, the, the role of the donors as well, and also all the, the other uh, international organizations to, to support this capacity building in the country. No? So, but thank you so much for the opportunity. We're looking forward for the discussions after that. And uh, yeah, we are open for questions as well. If you want, we can post the emails and uh, we can share as well the publication that I think it replies a bit on, answer a bit the, some of the main questions that we discussed today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Leticia. And just echoing Mary's point uh, earlier as well about this being the start of a conversation and, and, and the commitment to keep uh, doors open. And certainly for me, I'm really hoping that I will still be uh, attending, whether it's virtually or in person, uh, CSW events uh, in the next 10 years to, to come now that I've marked my first decade. But we will be sure to write up um, some of the rich insights from today's discussions, some of the contributions, um, both from our panelists, but also from, from participants. And, and I know we have, uh, Mary has shared her email address there as well. Um, and that you will all receive a follow-up communication from ODI as well, with a link to the event recording um, in English and Spanish. Um, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules, especially across multiple time zones. Um, and just a, another big thank you, especially to our partners at the Insure Resilience Centre of Excellence on Gender Smart Solutions for really helping curate this um, discussion. And a huge thank you to all of our panellists. Let's, uh, let's ensure that we're actively following up and that this is the, the start of the conversation. Thank you, everyone.